0: We won't give Tyler much of a chance to respond here because, you know, that's how we roll here. Welcome to the Mainline Podcast. I am Adam Jaques. Corbin and Tyler are with me as well this evening, and we've got a full slate. So we're going to jump right into the discussion this evening. Uh, probably the biggest news item in Sooner Nation right now is Mikey Henderson being dismissed from the team. Was it yesterday? I guess it's been a long long 24 hours. But guys, what's the initial reaction uh, seeing this come out so much later than, than Trajan Bridges and Seth McGowan?
1: Sounds like he got ratted out, guys. Uh, that's the only thing I can really take away from it. We all heard there was a third person when this took place, what, back in April? Um, and it just never came out, never came out, never came out. And I kind of thought this story had died. And then all of a sudden, Mikey Henderson is the the third person involved and uh, worn out for his arrest. And then quickly after that, he was dismissed from the team. So pretty cut and dry, guys. Uh, it's like I said, uh, I think I'm the last one play stupid games, win stupid prizes. That's uh, kind of the name of the game here. So uh, I think Mikey had tremendous talent, uh, an opportunity to help this football team. But if you can't get out of your own way, then, um, you know, those opportunities are going to be shut pretty quick. So unfortunate, but that's kind of how it played out.
2: Yeah, when this story originally broke, we knew, you know, that McGowan and Bridges were definitely, you know, 1A, 1B on this thing. And we've been hearing over the last probably six weeks that there was a third member that was involved in that, you know, kind of crime spree that went on at Crimson Park. Uh, apartments, but I mean, we knew that OU was going to make a play in the transfer portal at the running back position, you know, especially losing Ramondre Stevenson and ultimately Seth McGowan, you know, being the dumbass that he was six, eight weeks ago. Uh, But now kind of seeing what we've had, you know, with the Cavantre Bradford coming on board, it kind of seemed like, OU kind of knew from the beginning, you know, ultimately what was going to end up happening. Obviously, have to wait and let the legal process play out. Uh, But guys, how, how clutch has it been us being able to have both Eric Ray, and Trey Bradford come on board uh, and are going to be in a senior uniform here in the next couple of weeks. Um, But yeah, just a, just a stupid decision by Mikey, all parties involved. uh, A guy that had a lot of talent, a lot of promise, a lot of fans or a lot of, uh, a lot of things that OU fans were super excited about towards the end of last season thinking he had a chance to make a big job going into 2021. And, you know, you hate to see three kids, you know, throw away an opportunity like that. But um, I mean, when you go back and look at the production value that he brought last year, you know, it was, Uh, You know, less than 300 yards, uh, total yards, just a couple touchdowns. I mean, great athlete, fantastic football player, a lot of promise. But, you know, it's stupid prizes, you know, stupid decisions. And uh, we'll keep on rolling with it.
0: It's interesting that Trajan Bridges and Seth McGowan felt like the bigger impact players. But really, Mikey Henderson was probably the one that had contributed the most on the field thus far. And so in reality, he might be a little bit bigger of a hit in that sense that, he had at least proven something. Um, So don't want to dedicate a whole lot of time in this area necessarily, just because they're no longer a part of the team. They weren't, you know, major contributors anyway. So it's not a whole lot to say there.
2: Adam, one thing I do want to point out, kind of get your thoughts on it, but losing Ramondre going into this season, you know, he was kind of our, you know, our, our number one running back, but you know, where he really shined was late in the second half. He was that true finisher that Lincoln could kind of hang his hat on and hand the ball off to in the fourth quarter. And I think many people, you know, kind of had Mikey, you know, coming over from the H back room, a bigger frame guy, a really good athlete. I think that people kind of pinpointed him as being the one that was going to, you know, take on that role going into this season. So do you guys have any concern about the running back position? Um, Which guy is going to predominantly get most of those carries late in the second half? Or do you think it's just going to be kind of a Uh, running back by committee or maybe Lincoln sides to hand the ball to Jeremiah Hall or something like that.
0: Yeah. Put some respect on his name, all preseason, big 12, fullback Jeremiah Hall there. Um, So I don't know why we're worried, but uh, maybe, and I know I've said this before, maybe Marcus major is that guy who seems more like a bruiser, which is potentially because he just looks slower So that's usually the first place we go to describe those type of guys. But I think certainly that's a good point, Tyler, that it's going to be certainly a need of of that type of role to come in in the second half.
1: It'll be interesting to see. um, This reminds me a lot of Lincoln's first year as head coach um, when we had a lot of talent in the running back room, and it kind of felt like on a weekly basis Um, you were kind of transitioning between who had the hot hand until later in the season when obviously I think Rodney Anderson started to find his groove after the K state game, but who'd you had there? You had Abdul Adams, you had Rodney Anderson, you had, um, who's the guy at, at, you had TJ Pledger, right? Um, was Marcellius Sutton on that one? I think he might've, might've been on that one as well. Maybe, maybe it wasn't TJ. Yeah. Maybe it was a year before TJ. Um, but yeah, there was just kind of a handful of guys you felt like could all contribute. It was just kind of who, who had the hot hand on a weekly basis that I kind of get that feel, even though you have a veteran guy like Kennedy Brooks in this lineup, obviously he sat out last year. I kind of get a feel that's going to be how it's going to feel early in the season heading into this year with a lot of talent there. But Let's be honest, guys, probably a little unproven or in Kennedy Brooks's um, position, you know, a little rusty, potentially. So that's kind of how I envision the running back room at the moment.
0: Trey Sermon was on that 2017 team. As True. Well, point. So kind of that's kind of tough to remember him because he went on to do so many good things for Iowa State. And now we really can't claim him as, as an OU fan. But. Um, there are some guys, I think, to be pretty excited about um, going into this year. We alluded to it just a moment ago. The uh, All-Big 12 preseason team just came out. I think uh, there was 10 OU guys on the, uh, on the uh, list here, both offense, defense, and special teams. Uh, led the league uh, in that regard uh, of teams here. Uh, Corbin was there anyone that stood out to you here as far as um, maybe a surprise that you didn't see coming on here or maybe someone that you think is maybe
1: missing from this list currently surprise was probably Wani e. Morris um, a guy who hasn't even played a single game in the conference um, and who seems to have all the pincher in the world but kind of had mixed results at Tennessee so that that kind of surprised me that he was he was on this list so early um, but outside of that no guys I mean Kind of was all status quo um, for me outside of Wanye, but that was kind of the one that stuck out to me.
2: Yeah, uh, kind of one that kind of stuck out for me was you know where's Marvin Mims at? I mean, I know just by looking at the, uh, the the preseason selections, there's only two wide receivers that are listed, and I mean, I know that that player Texas Tech, he's a hell of a receiver, and Xavier Hutchinson, he's got a lot of promise. But coming off of last season, the guy you know that you know, correct me if I'm wrong, he was the newcomer of the year in the conference and he was one of the best receivers, especially for a true freshman. So him being able to have a full off season, go through training camp, have some more repetition with Spencer Rattler, I mean I think Marvin Mims is poised to have a big year. And that can be a guy, you know, once we once the postseason rankings come out and we're able to award, you know, award these guys, um, you know, their all American type status, all conference status, I think Marvin Mims is a guy that you can definitely, at least somewhat going into the year, you can feel confident that this guy's poised to have a uh an all all conference type season.
1: Well, I think I think the media agrees with you. He's on he's on the first team.
0: Yeah, there's <laughs> there's three wide well, receivers okay. on the list I'm looking at.
2: I, I, maybe I mislooked it or uh, I, I got the graphic wrong uh, taking a look at it, but I thought I only saw two wide receivers uh, on that. So if if that's the case, I, I apologize. It's been a crazy last three or four days, uh, but no, uh, go t- team Marvin.
0: Well, let me ask you this, Tyler, Uh, other than Marvin Mims, who is on the team, who uh, and and this is kind of stealing from Eddie's tweet, but he uh, told us all to discuss amongst ourselves. So we will do that. But, you know, who at the end of the year do you think could be on this list that's not on there right now?
2: Since I do not have the graphic in front of me fighting this Oklahoma City traffic is Brian Osamoah on the list for first team.
0: That's who I was going to go with. Corbin, you got anybody? Okay. I had
1: Brian Osmo. I also had Andrew Rain uh, yeah. in the center position. I thought he could be a potential good fit at the end of the year. A guy who really emerges. Um, but those were the those were the two I had.
0: How about this one? Uh, I know Charlie Kolar is, is pretty good at Iowa State, and he's got a lot of name recognition and a track record built up. But is Austin Stogner when healthy and in a better offense with a better quarterback? In theory, he should have a better statistic year. I think it's possible, you know, if he makes a big name this year, that he could be on this list at the end of
1: the season. I think it would take Iowa State underperforming as a team for Kolar to be dropped off that list. Um, I think Kolar's got such a big name, and that not that OU's offense isn't tight end friendly, but Iowa State's offense is like specifically focused on the tight end position. So um, I think at the end of the year, you're going to see that same thing. Stogner, probably second team, Golar, first team, unless Iowa State just dramatically drops the ball and just doesn't perform well through through the entire season as a whole.
0: Yeah, I don't think that's far-fetched, though, to say that Iowa State could underperform as a team. I mean, uh, yes, they had a good year last year. They have a lot of guys returning. They are expected to be the number two team, but – this isn't Texas. This isn't Oklahoma. This is a team that's not traditionally that great. Um, we love Matt Campbell here on this podcast, but I don't know. I mean, it would be disappointing Iowa State if they went eight and four, maybe even nine and three this year, considering expectations. So there's more room for, um, you know,
1: falling than there is to go up from what their expectation is. Yeah, but there's no reason to expect that they're going to be that. The, re- the expectation for Iowa State is for us to play them twice. That's once fair. In the regular season and once in the, the national – or not the national – for the uh, the Big 12 championship game. Yeah, that's fair.
2: Well, I mean, and going back to the tight end position, I mean, I think that you can you can be pretty confident in saying that Charlie Kolar is going to be, um, you know, the first team selection. not saying that he's a better player, you know, more talented than Austin Stogner, but I don't think Stogner, because of, you know, what OU's got at other skill position groups, you know, with Mims, Theo East, Hazelwood, if he's healthy. I don't think he's going to get nearly as many targets as what you're going to see – uh, Charlie Kolar did coming from Brock Purdy.
0: Yeah, I, I do agree with your guys' original picks there. Um, you know, as far as the linebacker position, I know Nick Benito is listed as a linebacker, but he's really a guy that honestly plays more like a defensive end type of positioning because he's rushing the quarterback pretty consistently. He's on the line of scrimmage um, pretty much for every snap there. So I think that's an area where, you know, if this team is going to take a next step, there's going to have to be a linebacker in a traditional role that is going to uh, really shine. And then like you said, Corbin with Andrew Rame, there's going to be another lineman that becomes a dude that writers that aren't really in the know of how to you know measure offensive line success are just going to go who had the best running game, who had the best offensive line. I'll just pick a guy from there.
2: Yeah, I agree. No. Yeah. Hey guys, quick question for you. Is there a, is there a guy on the back end of this defense that you could see as possibly in a dark horse candidate to sneak into that first team all conference group?
0: I mean, it's hard to say because DeLaron Turner yell is really not a flashy guy, but he's very consistent and solid. And the competition at safety is probably some of the toughest in any position group in the league. So I really think it's going to have to come from the cornerback position uh, and it's going to have to be one of those guys picking off like five, six, seven passes this year.
1: Um, and I, I have no idea who that might be. No, I was thinking DTY, but you're right. There, there does need to be a little bit of flash there. And I'm not sure he has. I think he he would be my dark horse though if I had to pick one just on based on kind of the entire track record. I think there's a lot of promising guys in that secondary, but there's just not kind of the background to make me feel confident in, a, in a, picking any of the young corners we got. What about
0: Billy Bowman, maybe, if he returns kicks and becomes somewhat of a household name in that sense so that people pay more attention to his actual defense?
2: Potentially. I could see that. Potentially. Or he might even have a spot as, like, the uh, punt returner all-purpose back type thing.
0: Yeah. There are five defensive backs
1: listed on this preseason list, so there's certainly some room uh, to get a guy on there. Let me reverse the question here. So Spencer Rattler, Jeremiah Hall, Marvin Mims, Marquise Hayes, Wani e. Morris, Gabe Bertrand, uh, Isaiah Thomas, Perion Nick, and then Eric's the newcomer of the year. Which of those nine take Gray out of the equation, which of those nine, if, if you had to put money on a guy who's not on the first team big 12 by the end of the year, who would you pick?
0: Man, that's, I really don't want to <laughs> pick any of these guys because I have such high <laughs> expectations but I, I think it's probably toughest on the line. So I'm going to have to go with either Wanye or Perion. You know, we're through the roof expectation with Perion Winfrey, but we have to remember, I think he got maybe half a sack last year. Um, he ate up a ton of double teams as well. So the stats aren't always going to match what his actual impact is. Um, but I just wonder if there's going to be some other defensive linemen that are going to have better stats. And that's what people are going to look at first and not necessarily win free as the impact that he makes and we know that he's going to get rotated there's so much depth on that defensive line he may not have enough uh, snaps to get some good stats early in the year um, to finish at a high level there even though he still might be very very uh key to this defense Tyler
2: yeah i think a lot, i think a lot of the numbers a lot of the sacks and the production that you saw out of Isaiah Thomas and Nick Benito last year was kind of a byproduct of those double teams and of how well Perry on Winfrey played on the interior, demanding those double teams, a lot of attention have to be, you know, paid attention to him. I'm going on the other side. I'm going to go with Juanye Morris. I think that for OU to be a national title contender, obviously they've got to have a dominant offensive line and there's no, there's no more important position than left tackle when it comes to dominant offensive line play. But I think coming into this year, obviously a new system, a new scheme that he's going to have to learn. There's a couple more really good tackles in the big 12 conference. So, um, while i do think is going to have a good year it would not surprise me if he's you know not part of that first team uh, just because there's so much good competition uh, and so many other good players around the uh, around big 12 conference so i'm going to go with wanye morris hope i'm wrong but those those other guys that you listed at him i mean um, pr- pretty sure thing on those for me
1: yep those were the two guys i had so we're all in agreement there
0: Jeremiah hall i mean he's going to get a couple of touchdowns, you know, six probably throughout the year, just by playing a total of maybe 10 plays a game or, or, or less. But um, I don't know, there's a lot of room that, you know, another guy could pop up out of the radar there. So that's something you could keep an eye on. Um, But anything else as far as the uh, preseason teams that you guys uh, stood out to you before we move on to, to something else here?
2: It's not, it's nice looking at that list and seeing three, guys from OU's front seven on defense that the uh that the media has a lot of respect for and I guess my final thought on it you know you go down the list both offense and defensively I mean do we chalk it up and go ahead and say that OU and Iowa State I mean it's those are definitively the two best teams and that's who we can expect to play twice this year
0: yeah I would agree and um you know, it was interesting. That, I don't know if you guys have seen this yet, but uh, Texas fans uh, did not really care to see so many Iowa State guys on there uh, because Texas only got one offensive, which was Bijan Robinson, uh, Deshaun Jamison on defense. That was it. Only two Texas players on there. I, w-
2: I was pretty su- surprised that Texas didn't have a linebacker on that list, Overshone Overshown um, out of Arb, Texas really, really good player, someone that I'm going to be, you know, watching throughout this entire season and someone that if I'm Lincoln Riley, um, I'm scheming and I want to know where that guy is on the field every single play.
0: Yeah, for sure. The other interesting thing on here, I guess that I'll note is uh, out of all the guys from OU on here, I think there was maybe one from the state of Texas. All the rest were from other States, which uh, it's got to be very unusual to have uh, so many guys that are high performers. We've got, Arizona, North Carolina, Maryland, uh, Morris is from Georgia, I believe, um, Oklahoma. Okay. Preps. There's your shout out, um, which, which actually might be a good transition because, uh, over the past week, since we last recorded, uh, we did get, uh, I think four total, uh, recruits commit verbally five. Okay. I'm, I'm slow. We just got one today. Two of them at least were from from Oklahoma. So, Corbin, what's uh, what's the situation there and and how excited should we be?
1: Yeah, just a quick breakdown. Um, So lots of lots of fireworks uh, over the 4th of July. Uh, I know last year everybody was expecting the big 4th of July fireworks. We probably didn't get the caliber of players we got last 4th of July, but we definitely got more of them coming through. So just a quick breakdown. So uh, a couple offensive linemen, Jacob Sexton, four star lineman from Deer Creek. Uh, ranked four uh, excuse me 204th nationally by rivals. Uh, Jake Taylor was the announcement today. Uh, this is Wednesday for anybody that's listening. Four star lineman from Bishop Gorman out of Las Vegas. If nothing else guys, just to have a route back into Bishop Gorman is a huge deal with him. We beat out Alabama and Notre Dame for his commitment so a very sought after lineman there. Robert Spears Jennings uh, list is a wide receiver uh, on a lot of the recruiting sites, but he's being recruited on the defensive side of the ball out of Broken Arrow. Uh, List is a three-star wide receiver on rivals. I'm curious now that Everybody knows he's going to be playing the defensive side of the ball. What does that do to his ranking? Is he reevaluated? I don't know how that works on the recruiting sites, to be honest. Uh, Xavion Bryce, maybe the biggest question mark of all the commitments. Uh, Three-star athlete out of Arlington, also being recruited on the defensive side of the ball. Um, Guys, it sounds like there's kind of just – mixed feelings about his fit but hopefully grinch is seeing something that uh we should be excited about you know years down the road and then possibly you know the biggest commitments uh, over the weekend Derek moore defensive end from baltimore maryland uh, four star number 165 overall according to rivals um guys for me Derek moore probably jake taylor are the two exciting um picks above the rest there but, uh, but Tyler, I'll throw it to you. Was was there one that stuck out to you as far as uh, commitment over the last few days that you're really excited about?
2: Well, well, Derek Moore is the one that sticks out for me. Um, and again, shout out to Jamar Cain. I hope that OU fans are truly appreciating what he's done back-to-back years. Clayton Smith in 2020, uh, Derek Moore in 2021, Jamar Cain being able to go out there and get his guy for this class, pay that outside rush to edge position. But for me, I mean, the thing that I'm most excited about looking at the five commits that we got this past weekend um, and including today is Jacob Sexton and Jake Taylor. It's two offensive tackles, both rival 250 guys. We knew coming into this season that, you know, tackle is going to be something that OU is going to have to deal with um, depth wise over the last couple of years, losing Adrian Ely prematurely to the NFL. And, uh, you know, Stacey Wilkins in the transfer portal. If OU ha- is poised to have and they do have a big year like we expect. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Um, you know, one uh, Morse, he could be gone. Um, Eric Swinton's probably he's gone. You know, Anton Harrison's gonna be back next year. But I mean, having two rivals, two fifty guys at the offensive tackle position. I mean, that's fantastic job by Bill Beanbo, and you've got to feel excited about that group moving forward.
0: Yeah, I think offensive line is the most exciting for me as well. Uh, Jacob Sexton, being a guy that grew up a Texas fan in a Texas family. Um, you know, even though he was just up the road here in Edmond, I think it's still a solid get to to get him to commit to OU. After there was definitely some back and forth, and maybe some uneasiness about, you know, did OU burn bridges? Was he going to be able to, you know, still commit? And um, so it was good to see that happen, especially a local guy, Deer Creek. He's probably going to be the biggest recruit that's ever come out of Deer Creek. They've had some guys that have gone to. Uh, Oregon state, I think it's probably their, their biggest name. So uh, he's easily got a chance to be the best product that's ever come out of that school that really doesn't produce a whole lot of uh, of football talent. Um, And it was also good just in general to see offensive linemen committing after seeing some big time guys going up to uh, Oregon from the state of Texas. So I know we have some thoughts probably on on what they might be doing uh, in Eugene slash Beaverton, Oregon, uh, Nike headquarters. But uh, I think that was definitely good to see some offensive linemen uh, come together for what could be a solid class there.
1: Yeah. Seems like guys, after, uh, you know, the talent, Shetron decommitment, you know, things are starting to move back in the right direction. Uh, We should start to see, you know, a few more names over the month of July that we should be even more excited about than these guys. So uh, hopefully there's some big things coming for, you know, 2023 and 2022 and beyond. So we'll see how it plays out.
0: Yeah. Mentioning as far as Oregon, uh, I know Kayvon Thibodeau just got a six figure deal from Nike there. And we all saw what happened uh, down in Miami with Dan Lambert, basically promising any player on the Miami team, $500 per month for a total of $6,000 per year, uh, to sponsor his gym. And I'm, I'm using air quotes for uh, those who are listening, but, um, cause we, we all know that there are certain players on the team that don't have that type of value for their name, image, and likeness. Um, Tyler, you may fall on the same side of the, of the boat as I am on this, but, I feel like this is a slippery slope. I feel like there's going to be um, numerous loopholes, things taken advantage of, and it's really going to become down to who has the biggest fan base with the deepest pockets. So, talk me off the ledge here, uh, if you can.
2: Well, I can't talk you off uh, off the ledge because I'm on the ledge myself, Adam. I mean, <laughs> we we talked about it last week. That it seems to me like this the NCAA. They put this together with duct tape. They did it so fast. It happened a lot quicker than they thought it was actually going to. It sets a dangerous precedent for me because essentially I think that it's going to benefit schools that have access to these larger cities, like whether it is a New York, a Dallas, a Houston type thing, um, or these programs that have just a huge alumni or donor base that that has all these rich big time donors, like what you saw from Miami, uh, the guy that owns that gym, you know, pouring that much money into that program, already a donor. It seems like you're setting a dangerous precedent to where because it doesn't seem right now like it's so clear cut and concise what the actual rules are and how these kids are able to, you know, make money, what's right, what's wrong. It sets a dangerous precedent on what, you know, what at what length are these programs going to go to to essentially buy their way towards having a a really good college football team? Um, I don't know. it's, It's a dangerous precedent. I think that we've barely scratched the surface on what this is going to look like and what the impact is going to be. Um, but no, I'm, I'm right there on the ledge with you, Adam. It's, it's a slippery slope.
1: I'm a little bit backed off the edge. Um, and here's why we're seeing these big dollar amounts being thrown around, but we're kind of forgetting the, the reality of some of this. So let's, let's use the Miami example um, really easy. And the goal, if you're, if you're a company the goal obviously is to grow your company. Okay. If you're putting in this money, like this guy is, I get, he's a donor, but there still has to be some sort of value for him to continue to do this at some point. And here's the value though. The value is the big names of the Miami hurricane football team. Derek King is not going to take this deal. He's not for 500 bucks a month. He's not going to take this deal. A lot of the other big names in a place like Miami are not going to take this deal. So now all of a sudden this donor is basically playing for at best the second tier players at the university of Miami. Okay. At some point, I don't know if that deal continues to happen. If you're not getting the marquee guys, you're either going to have to up the ante and they might, right? It's Miami money's flowing. That's fine. He may come in and say, okay, 10,000 a player that might change things. 20,000 a player, whatever that looks like. But based on that alone, I don't see this being something that makes sense for either side long-term unless he just really just doesn't care. And he just wants to provide money to players, but like the logistics of it all of finding enough money for the high quality players to actually make these appearances. They have to do, they have to do something, make appearances, tweet it on social media, whatever the case may be, there has to be tangible acts for them to get paid. That's not enough money to do it. So I think you'll see, More things on the lines of what Thibodeau is doing up in Oregon, but even the Nike deal doesn't take place until he's graduated, if I remember correctly. Um, So I don't, I'm not as concerned as I once was about it. But guys, every day something new is happening with this. So who knows?
0: Well, with Corbin, what I would say there is, you know, what are the requirements to consider it a sponsorship? Because because if this guy's a mega wealthy guy and we know there are donors out there, we've all talked to them that just want to hang out with the players. They just want to be friends with the players. So all he has to do is i am, he's co- never done that. <laughs> <laughs> all he has, has to do is throw a pool party at his mansion that all these players probably want to go to anyway, take a few pictures, post it on social media on the business account and say, you know, uh, sponsorship fulfilled. Here's your $6,000. Derek King's not going to turn that down he's going he's gonna to make that appearance to go hang out at a party for $6,000. Um, so really, I, and there's no way to say that's not a legitimate sponsorship, but it's clearly um, not the value of some of the players on the team. It's undervaluing Derek King. It's overvaluing you know, the third string center uh, by quite a bit. So I don't know. I feel like this could really run amok for certain guys that want to spend the money to help recruit and get better players in.
2: Guys, let me let me ask you this to kinda of, kinda of pivot. Do you guys think that now that we're two weeks into this and we're seeing some deals, we're seeing some some bigger players come to the table as far as the amount that they're willing to pay to, you know, to have an impact on this. Do you see this having a negative effect within the locker room of some of these college football teams as far as, you know, some players are getting paid more? Um, you know, I, I essentially let me kind of back up here. What's the impact in OU's locker room knowing that Spencer Rattler's getting paid all this money up and down compared to like the you know third string nickelback or third string you know offensive guard do you see any type of you know animosity coming or any you know problems within the locker room from this in uh this name image lightness scenario i'm sure it's
1: going to be there but like what can you do i mean that's just kind of the nature of the game is i mean i don't think it would go any farther than what you hear on like okay Spencer got 10 tweets about him from the OU football account and offensive lineman only got one. Like I I just, I think it's kind of that same woodhouse where I'm sure they're gonna have some annoyed players, but that they just kind of know that's the nature of the game.
0: Yeah, I'm not so sure I see much difference there because Spencer already has more followers in the guard. He already has a longer autograph line on meet the seniors day. He already gets more interview requests. So I don't know. Well,
2: I, I I guess where I could see the problem is that, like, if you had a running back at LSU that's running for 200 yards a game, like, say, go all the way back, say this, is, this was in effect when Leonard Fournette was there. If you're averaging 200 yards a game, you're the star in college football. He's getting all the credit. He's getting all the money, all the attention. You don't think there's going to be a little bit of animosity between the starting offensive linemen that are paving the way for him to do all those things, and they're not making nearly as much money as what he is. I think that's all I'm saying.
1: I think you'll see it just like the NFL. The running back wants their lineman to be happy. They'll make sure they're happy, whatever that looks like.
0: Yeah. I, I think it, what you're saying, Tyler, I think that happens on teams that go three and eight, but if you're going eight and three, I think you're fine. So I'm, I'm not nearly as concerned about that as I am from, you know, some, you know, other aspect where a bigger donor is just dumping money, which if you're a billionaire, that you know what that Miami guy was given—that's the equivalent of someone like us giving about forty-five dollars a year. So it's—it's
1: <laughs> it's basically bit what there. we're
2: saying, Corbin. Basically, what we're saying, Corbin, is you need to get Clay Bennett on the phone and <laughs> let's let's start working this out,
1: guys. I I think my curiosity, and I think they mentioned on the uh, the Sooner Scoop podcast today, is like what happens with the donors that we're giving to, for instance, the Sooner Club. And really feeling passionate that they were bringing scholarship dollars to these players. And now do some of those donors shift where they're giving, knowing that they potentially could have a bigger impact on recruiting if they go straight to the players. So I'm really curious to see how some of that will play out.
0: Well, this is a really good thing in my opinion, because it forces the Sooner Club to do more, to make a better product. Um, Same thing with just the athletic department as a whole, you know, give more reasons to give your money in that direction. Um, You know, right now the benefits, some of them are good, depending on what level you're on. Uh, Some of them are not that great. Like paying, what was it? Three, four or $5,000 to park in a gravel lot, you know, a mile away (laughs) that's it's not really a benefit so um having to force them to up their game to keep that money in-house i think is a good thing
2: well and and on top of it too adam unless it's like a capital gift where you know specifically okay this is the project that this money is going to be going to these lower level donors like whether it's a d100 or a D 250 you pay your donation every year you don't know where that money is going to you don't know how it's being spent where it's being directed to so I think that you make a pretty good point where, you know, back and think, you know, if I don't necessarily know where this money is going to go once it, once it's deposited in the athletic department's account and instead maybe I want to take that money and, you know, put it towards name, image, likeness to try to get, you know, said player or said group of guys to, to maybe consider a complaint at OU. I could see that being a thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. that's a great point. Uh, yeah, it's going to be really interesting on a lot of fronts. This whole this this whole thing is changing the game, and to what level, to what angle, I'm not entirely sure. It's way too early to tell, but uh, it's going to rattle a lot of things, and we'll, we'll see what comes of it. You know, after a few months.
2: Hey Corbin, it could be way too early, but you're you're more familiar with than than we are with the Sooner Club process. Is there a place for a department like the Sooner Club with name, image? Line? as far as being able to – I don't know if raise money is the right way to do it, but as far as being able to essentially help these kids out, help these – you know, help out the Annie Hansons and the Lincoln Riley, be able to partner up the Sooner Club and OU Football to, to create something that's very appealing to these kids coming out of high school as far as – from a profitability standpoint. They could, they
1: could make a department that serves as an agency – I don't see why that wouldn't be possibility because now all of a sudden you can connect the bigger stoners that OU has directly to the players themselves rather than like what Spencer did. And he went to an outside party to get his agent. So that could be a way to go about it. I don't know the legalities of that. I don't know the reality of that, but that could be a P. piece. Uh, excuse me, a key piece of the Sooner Club that could come to light in this where the Sooner Club in that sense is, is working just like an agent and they're taking a piece of that cut every single time a donor comes in and wants to sponsor an athlete. So the Sooner Club still be could still be making a percentage off of the name, image, and likeness from the players. I can see how that would be beneficial to all parties involved. Whether or not OU wants to go down that route, I, I have no idea because I can see how that would be a little shady um but this whole thing is shady so you might as well take advantage of it create an agency department um and then kind of work on behalf of the student athletes now how does that affect everything else then, right? How does that affect the rest of the donors? How does that affect Sooner Sports properties if they're connected with yep. somebody who's you know, already sponsored already yep. the stadiums? So I don't think that's allowed, if I remember seeing that correctly. So there's a lot of moving parts, but you know what? We've got the best guy at the helm to handle it, and that's Joe Castiglione. He's got a better plan than I do, and I'm sure that thought has crossed his mind of like, what if we create an agency that runs directly within the university? I don't know the legalities of that, but that could be a way where OU is still making money off of setting up the athletes to be profitable.
0: I believe on the legality of it is that it does have to be a separate entity. And that's why you see a lot of programs uh, basically introducing a new partner that is going to be very closely connected that is essentially going to be a department that is not a
1: part of the athletic department or the Sooner Club. Well, does, does, that, does that department just donate? Back to the Sooner Club every single year, quote unquote. That—that's what I mean. Like you can—you can find
0: your yeah. way. Yeah, I think right that's line. where it gets into that sketchy territory. Yeah,
2: there's the—that's the loophole right there. Yeah, Larry Napier will and, be all over, get, whatever the
1: reason is. Well,
2: we'll uh, we'll get Toby Baldwin, or we'll reach out to Zach, and who knows? may then come on, and you know, we'll kind of pick their brain on what kind of some of the conversations that are being had. But that's something else that I was just thinking about too when you are talking about Sooner Sports Properties and OU having these contracts with certain companies, you know, just look at this, for example, Spencer Rattler just signed uh, a deal to be an ambassador for, you know, Raising Canes. How does that work if your quarterback is a Raising Canes ambassador, but yet maybe uh, maybe a school like, you know, OU Athletics has a sponsor or a, uh, a, a, p- a partnership with Chick-fil-A or a Slim Chickens, you know, Corbin, I can't tell you how many times we always in our marketing days handed out like free coupons for chicken or queso, things like that. How's it going to work when you've got your, you know, your cash cow, your starting quarterback for the football team. He's a Raising canes ambassador. And here you are. You've got a partnership with, you know, Slim Chickens or Chick-fil-A.
0: Here's my answer to that. Slim Chickens and Chick-fil-A should have paid more.
2: I mean, that's, that's irrelevant, though, in this case.
0: I'm, it's, a, it's a free market, though. Like he should be able to sign with whoever wants to sign him. If Chick fil A wants him, he's a separate entity than the University of Oklahoma.
1: Somewhere I read, though, that someone who's sponsoring the department as a whole cannot sponsor an athlete. And so I, I could be mistaken there, but I read that yeah. early on. Now, whether that was a, a, like has passed and has become part of the deal, I'm not sure. But if that's the case, then it's not a free market what's going to happen there is is no different than like, okay, so for example, the past company I worked with, uh, event-based company, you guys saw them, the little shuffles driving around, right? MidFirst Bank obviously is a huge title sponsor for OU Athletics in every sport. One of the biggest ones they've got. So what did I do? I went after other banks. You can't get into OU Athletics. I can get you all around the stadium. I can drive you around campus on game days. That was my pitch. So those companies that want to do that, are absolutely going to do that with the players and they're going to say screw the big signage in the stadium forget the OU tweets and things like that we don't want any of that we want the player." And we don't care if it's on the field or off the field. We want his following, his presence. He may not even be able to wear OU stuff when he comes and does our appearances and things like that. We don't care. Everybody knows who Spencer Rattler is, and that's good enough for us. And that, in my opinion, as an outsider looking in with somebody who's got at least some experience in that field, that hurts the marketability of OU athletics as a whole when now all of a sudden MidFirst Bank is no longer exclusive. They are, but they're not. Um, to OU athletics. So it's going to be a really, really interesting and wild ride when it comes to that and kind of watching what companies do. And guys, honestly, because I love that field, and that space, I'm really excited to see it. Yeah, that's, a, that's so an Corbin, excellent
2: did you point. Corbin, did you say that in terms of certain things, the university has the final say on what certain products or brands their athletes cannot partner with?
1: no uh the NCAA came out or the i think it was NCAA or the federal court came out with categories that athletes cannot do so i think it was alcohol uh, drugs uh, adults entertainment, yeah. like all, yeah tobacco all of that stuff they can't use i don't think the university has a say on anything outside of those categories
2: well the reason why i ask is because you look at a school like Oklahoma we'll just take OU for example they're right here in our backyard they're a Jordan school. OU football, that's, you know, that's that's the premier thing is being a Jordan school. What keeps a company like Adidas from coming to Spencer Rattler right now and saying, hey, we're essentially, we want to sign you after you graduate from Oklahoma. We want you to be an Adidas athlete. once you to start your NFL journey. What keeps them from coming to the table? Maybe not necessarily getting Spencer Rattler to wear Adidas cleats uh, when he's playing football at OU, but what keeps them from being able to, you know, get their footprint in uh, early and um, set themselves up well for the future. Because I would have to think that, I mean, OU's not going to, you know, they're not going to love that. They're a Jordan school
1: that mm-hmm. clashes
2: with their brand.
1: Yeah. Uh, in this scenario that you're offering, pretty simple. Spencer's not an idiot. He's going to wait for <laughs> for Nike and Jordan to come knocking before he signs with Adidas. He's not going to ruin that relationship. Bingo. Um, now, if Bingo. It's, if, it's, if it's basketball, maybe that's different, right? Like I can see how... You know, Under Armour and Adidas could could come into the play, but football not happening. Um, but Eric Gray, not as big of a name, has the potential to become you know an NFL caliber player. Does that change? Does that sway his kind of thoughts moving forward? Potentially, I think if you if you get to that second tier level of guys who potentially could have a big NFL future, um, that's a very intriguing argument and. I don't think OU can say no. They can't wear it on the field. They can't take pictures with it. They can't um, you know, be involved in any OU-associated post with those brands. But if it's not their brand, then I don't know. I'm curious to kind of go on to that. So let's say that happens. Let's say Spencer Rattler signs a deal with Adidas. Does OU football say, hey, anything OU athletics-wise on your Instagram, got to go? can't have it. If you're going to have Adidas stuff on there, you got to pull everything down from it with an, with an OU logo.
2: I, I think that's the case though. I think you have to do that because then OU is violating their contract with Jordan by allowing their athletes to be photographed or broadcast on TV in a competitor's brand. Yep.
1: Yeah. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. Yeah. We've got just
0: about, Four or five minutes left here so i think we did want to talk a little bit about some things that are actually going to happen on the field uh corbin i don't know if we'll have time for all these but if you do want to uh, give us quick uh, intro here on on what we're doing and go ahead and get us rolling
1: yeah a uh, segment called place your bets so just for full transparency since we're on the legal topic we're not professional bettors if you followed our records last football season you'd know that uh so just want to get that out there uh but yeah real simple guys i'm gonna throw out two scenarios and if you were a betting person where would you push your chips in to the more likely scenario in your opinion? So we're going to start off really easy. Tell me which one you're going with and a short reason why we're going to get through all these real quick. So Nick Benito having more than eight sacks next season or Spencer Rattler with more than 4,500 passing yards.
0: I got to go with Nick Benito. He's already done it. So I think he can do it again, especially with more games on the schedule. Spencer Rattler may very well go for 4,500, but uh, hopefully, we're blowing out a lot of opponents and we're running the ball.
2: Corbin, I was planning on saving all my chips for Vegas this weekend, but for that particular scenario, I'm cashing all that in on Nick Benito.
1: Yep. Yep. Great call. I'm, I'm with you both. Uh, okay. Spencer Sanders, by the end of the season, is on the all Big 12 first team, or the University of Texas wins the Big 12 championship.
0: Tyler, you take this
1: one Adam, first.
2: I take let me, yeah, let me take this one. Well, Spencer Sanders, he's not a top five quarterback in this league. So, therefore, he is not going to be the first team all quarterback. So, I I'm, I'm feel pretty confident in this. I think if outside of OU and Iowa State, if anybody has a chance to win the Big 12, I think it's Texas. Um, so, I feel pretty safe saying uh, give me the opposite of Spencer Sanders being the first team quarterback.
0: I'm going to have to disagree with you. I think there are far fewer options for Big 12 first-team quarterback. I think you're mainly looking at just three guys, Uh, whereas with the Big 12, I think it's going to be really tough for Texas as a whole to come together. I can certainly see Spencer Sanders having a spectacular season if everything comes together for him.
1: Yeah, all right, so we split that one. Uh, A little outside of OU and Big 12 conversation, Uh, well, kind of. Uh, USC's Clay Helton will still be the Trojans head coach in 2022 or Steve Sarkeesian is still the Texas head coach in year 2025. So that means he would be going into year five down in Austin. Uh, I guess, I guess,
0: (laughs) yeah, I guess I'll take this one. I think most likely... Uh, Clay Helton still the coach at USC because his main competition at Arizona State is having some scandal that could certainly bleed into the season. I think UCLA will be much improved, but there's really not much competition to keep him out of the Pac-12 championship game in the Pac-12 South. Sarkeesian has a lot to prove, so um, at least Clay Helton, has, Clay Helton has somehow stuck around. I'll, I'll bet on
2: that. I'm going opposite here. I think the Clay Hilton. I think he's coaching for his job this season. I think he was coaching for it last year. I think COVID was essentially what kept him around in LA for another single year. I think that. I think that essentially USC they're running out of excuses. They're still recruiting at a really high rate. Um, if you if you go back and look at some of their rankings over the past couple of seasons, they're doing it again this season. Um, it's put up for shut up time. I mean, I think you, you hit the nail on the head, Adam. You know, the Pac-12's down. Um, Oregon's probably going to be their only competition this year. And I don't see Oregon, you know, having a strong footprint uh, across the, uh, you know, across the nation in in terms of, you know, being a top 10 or top five team. So um, I think that this is the year USC has got to get it done or he's going to, you know, he's going to be finding another job. So I'm going to USC, be looking for a new coach after this year.
1: All right, guys. Uh, Oklahoma does not win the Big 12 championship game or Clemson. Does not win the ACC championship game, and for reference, both teams have won their conference titles the past six seasons.
2: I think it's more likely that OU doesn't win the Big 12 than it is Clemson winning the ACC. I mean, we talk about every single year with Clemson being as bad, or with Florida State being as down as they are. Miami, they're kind of you know on the on the uptick, um, but again, Clemson's so much more talented across the board than all those teams. Um, so, give me—I think it's more likely that OU doesn't win the Big 12 than it is uh, clemson this year
0: first time we agree on that one uh for all the same
1: points yep i agree as well um all right this will be an interesting one kansas wins two games or iowa state is in the college football playoff
0: oh wow that's tough <laughs> um you said uh, conference games. Kansas has to win just two games. Okay, give me Kansas. Which, then uh, they, I think the last time they yeah. did that, they
1: won. They won three games in 2019. Yeah,
0: they they opened with an FCS opponent. If I if I'm correct, so well, that's telling me there's a,
2: a chance.
1: That's near, <laughs> not a guarantee of the Lawrence. but
0: uh, I think that's better odds. They beat them in like Texas Tech versus Iowa State. Basically, I think Iowa State would have to be nearly undefeated, or at least one loss. Revenging that loss to OU in the championship game, yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, I'm going Cans on this one as well. That's, um, that's that's an easy one for me. Coral, is that your last one? I got one for you guys.
1: I got two more. Don't take my segment. Okay.
2: Fire away, <laughs> dude.
1: Uh, Marcus Major leads the team in rushing yards, or Jaden Hazelwood leads the team in receiving yards? Hazelwood. Mm. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with that as well. All right, very good. Last one the OU defense to have two pick sixes this season or the OU return team to have two punts or kickoffs return for a touchdown.
0: I think you just have to like the odds of the defense doing that, considering we aren't really sure who's going to return the ball. And a lot of that can be pretty random.
2: Yeah. I'm going to go pick six with it as well. There's more opportunities, more chances for them to do that um, than there is, you know, returning a punt or a kickoff. So um yeah i'm I'm, i feel much more confident in that especially with as much pressure as our front seven is going to get this season there you go all right tyler
1: what's yours all
2: right this is not college football related switching over to the ufc corbin big one this weekend who you got
1: uh i got dustin and adam
2: just adam to okay adam to set the scene for you i don't know if you're a huge mma guy uh, UFC 264, it's the trilogy. Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier, Vegas Saturday night. You got Dustin,
1: Corbin? I got Dustin, man. I know Conor whooped him the first time around, but that was a long time ago, and last time those two were in the octagon, it was very one-sided. So I'm going to go with the I more. I disagree wholeheartedly. Okay. Of course you do. That's the fandom in you. You got the Conor McGregor. You got well, the Irish glasses on. Connor yeah. Conor
2: won the first round, though. It was close. Con- it was a, t- it was Close. a 10 nine across all three judges scorecards.
0: I'm going to go with Dustin on this. Cause I know it's going to make Tyler mad. So <laughs> uh, give me Dustin. I'm not a big Conor McGregor guy. He's uh, he's a lot of talk. Um, so uh, Dustin for me, which I think is probably a great place to wrap things up uh, for the evening. <laughs> uh, we won't give Tyler much of a chance to respond here because uh, you know, that's how we roll here. So uh, do appreciate it's everyone every listening. Day. check us out on twitter we've got some some pretty interesting stuff going on there it's at the mainline pod one and we will see everyone again next week